question, what is theology? It's a Greek word, or comes from Greek words, two Greek words in fact. The first one, theo, which means God, and the second, uh, which means logos, in the Greek which means word or knowledge. So the word theology is the knowledge of God, or God knowledge. <coughs> and so I wanted to concentrate particularly on Acts chapter 16, verse 25, of that lovely piece of scripture that uh, Rob read out to us about uh, Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. And I want to have a look at theology at midnight. Now, there's an old saying that says, you discover your theology at midnight. Until then, it's all theoretical. But when midnight comes, when the troubles and the pressures of life come, we all discover the difference between theory and reality. I used to think that I learned my theology during the five years I spent at Bible college, but that's not quite true. For one thing, I already knew that what I believed in uh, before I went into Bible college. However, those years gave me uh, a depth and a breadth and a perspective. And so looking back, I would say that in Bible college, I learned how much I didn't know. And I was given tools to learn more. The other thing I loved about Bible college is when a young firebrand attended a lecture or a tutorial. The sort of young person that uh, wants to conquer the world that wants to challenge the status quo and push the envelope. The sort of young person that made the college lecturers feel very uncomfortable. I liked it when I meet, I like it when I meet young people with big dreams about what they want to do for God. And in this fragile and unpredictable world, we need the uh, fire of optimism. An optimism that says with God all things are possible. An optimism that has no time or patience for those who ask questions or say, perhaps we should think about that for a little while. The Apostle Paul seems to have been that sort of man. Perhaps it was inevitable that a man who had been a, a zealot, who was zealous against Christ before his conversion, would be equally zealous for Christ afterwards. So armed with nothing more than the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul spearheaded the Christian movement through Turkey into Greece and onto Rome, the capital of the empire and the greatest city in the world. Paul was a force of nature, a man possessed by one great idea. Paul preached Christ wherever his name had not been preached so that those who had never heard might come to faith. But it was not an easy road for Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 27, he, he details some of his hardships in this text. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison far more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And he mentions being in prison frequently. And it was while he was with Silas where, uh, and in prison in Philippi that God worked a wonderful miracle on his behalf. The story is told in Acts chapter 16 goes like this. After casting out an evil spirit out of a slave girl, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison for what we would probably call today disrupting the peace. The two men were beaten, thrown into jail, put under close guard and placed in the inner cell with their feet bound in stocks. Now this was not a pleasant situation. So what do you do when you have been arrested, beaten, imprisoned, placed under guard with your feet bound in stocks for nothing more than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're Paul and Silas and it's midnight... You start praying and singing hymns to the praise of God. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says that the other prisoners were listening to them. No doubt these two prisoners looked like a mess after being severely beaten. The fact that they were in stocks and under close guard told the other prisoners that Paul and Silas were no ordinary criminals. So I'll ask that question again. What do you do at midnight? The answer to that depends on your theology. A theology you don't generally discover until midnight. At that point, you, can, you can't walk over to the vicarage and ask the vicar for some books on theology. You just can't do that. You're stuck in a cell. And so you can't walk over to the vicarage and ask the vicar for some books on theology to see what it says to do uh, and when... After you've been arrested, you don't have access to a computer, so you can't send an email. You can't update your Facebook page, can you? You can't get onto your Twitter account take selfies. It's that lonely moment, that moment you discover your theology. You find out what's real and what's purely theoretical. And so off the back of that short introduction, I want to look at three thoughts in understanding the Christian life. Number one, go where you're sent. Number two, stay where you're put. And number three, give what you've got. These three thoughts are great biblical principles and they throw light onto the darkness of that prison cell in Philippi, where Paul and Silas were singing and praying at midnight. So first thought is go where you're sent. If you consider that statement by itself, it may seem to have mainly a geographical component. Genesis 12, 1-3, Abraham was called by God to go to a land that he would later receive as an inheritance. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham, 
when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. For him, the where was definitely a geographic location. He was always on the way to the promised land. However, if we examine Paul's case and look at Acts 16, 9 to 10, which was last week's uh, Bible reading, we can see that God definitely called Paul and called Paul from Turkey to Greece. And when he crossed the Aegean Sea, he ended up at Philippi and began to preach the gospel. He began to win men and women to the, to, to the Christ and he proceeded to establish a church in that city. Paul's one great calling was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The where depended wholly upon the Lord. And that's why he wasn't uh, thrown for a loop when he ended up in jail. That's why he wasn't hit for a six when he was beaten by the authorities. While we don't need to embellish all of that, we shouldn't downplay it either. When years later Paul told Timothy, he said to Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul knew when he said that to Timothy what he was talking about. There was nothing easy about being accused of, dis, uh, 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 of disrupting or dis, uh, disrupting the, the peace. There was nothing easy about being publicly disgraced. There was nothing easy about being maligned and vilified. Nor was it pleasant to be beaten and thrown into prison alongside men who were truly criminals. And certainly having your legs put in stocks not only meant that you, couldn't, you could hardly move, but it also meant that you had difficulty lying down as well. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, that all depends on your theology. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, then you'll probably be bitter and angry and very discouraged. If you don't believe in a God who numbers the hairs on your head, then you may think that something terrible is about to happen to you. But if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then you know that nothing can happen to you by accident. And in that case, your reaction is likely to be very different, quite different in fact. You pray, you sing hymns at midnight. We find the key to that phrase, or the key to the phrase, go where you're sent, in the word sent. It means that in every situation of life, higher hands are at work, leading us from where we were at that moment to where we're supposed to be in the next. Many times those higher hands will seem to lead you in ways that make no sense, and you may not see any purpose in the things that are happening to you. So the question is, how do godly people respond to the turns and events this life throws up? The answer is, it all depends on your theology. Remember, you don't learn your theology at midnight, you actually discover it. You find out what you really believe in when midnight comes. Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns. That's the true meaning of go where you're sent. 
You go and do, even though it probably wasn't in your plan. And we go singing and praying and testifying to the goodness of the Lord. Thought number two, stay where you're put. That just means we serve the Lord where we happen to be or whatever situation we find ourselves in, even though it may not have been our first choice. This is why Paul and Silas were singing at midnight. They knew that God had sent them to the, to the jail to bear witness for their faith or bear witness of their faith. As Paul and Silas sang and the prisoners listened, they had no idea of an earthquake that was about to be set that was about to set them free, nor did they know that soon they would lead the Philippian jailer and his whole family to the Lord. That was all hidden from them. As far as they knew, they would stay in prison a few days or a few weeks or a few months, and then they would go to trial, and then after that, no one could say what might happen. So here's the big idea this morning. Paul and Silas weren't praying and singing in the prospects of some great miracle. They simply bore witness to the goodness of the Lord in a most difficult situation. That's God's calling to you and to me to bear witness to the Lord in the situations we find ourselves in. Stay where you're put. It doesn't mean passively accepting the bad circumstances of life. And it certainly doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to change things if you can. But it does mean that you believe down deep in your soul that you are where you are because God wants you to be there. And that's when he wants you to do something else. Or he, and, 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 sorry, and that's and that, and, and, and that when he wants you to do something else, You'll be somewhere else in that time. So thirdly and finally, give what you've got. Evidently, Paul and Silas weren't trying to be quiet in jail. They prayed and sang loud enough for a crowd of prisoners to listen to them. And I can imagine they were amazed that... Uh, that these two men in stocks, beaten and roughed up, um, and no doubt were a total sight to behold, would seem so cheerful and full of faith in jail at midnight. So, how could this be? Well, they discovered their theology, and it carried them through the darkness of the night. There is a Hebrew word that pops up quite often in the New Testament, sorry, in the Old Testament, especially when God calls someone to a special, a special task. And the word is hineni, hineni, which means here I am. Here I am, here I am, Lord, ready to serve. What do you want me to do? It's what a servant says to their master. It's what a little boy would say to his father. It's what believers say to the Lord, here I am. Abraham said it, Jacob said it, Moses said it, Isaiah said it. It's the words of a servant. Here I am, available, ready to serve. What may I do for you? When God calls, we can either, we can always find excuses, can't we? Well, no, Lord, not me. Go and ask someone else. 
I'm busy. I'm happy right here I am. Please don't bother me. For all of us, the issue is not our personal desires, but our response when the call comes. In the, in the truly rough and tumble situations of life, we really get a choice in advance, which is probably a good idea because if we did get a choice in advance, we would probably be sorely tempted to run in the other direction if we knew what was coming. But in, it's in those moments like that, when, 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 when the tough stuff of life comes, that we discover our theology. I'm not surprised that Paul and Silas sang in prison. Some of God's best work is done in prisons. John Bunyan went to prison for preaching the gospel and wrote a pilgrim's progress. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to prison in World War II and died testifying to God's grace. Chuck Colson went to prison and, gave, and God gave him the vision while in prison for prison, for prison fellowship ministries. So I wonder what Paul and Silas prayed at midnight. I wonder if it was something like what Paul wrote several years later in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, when he said, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal uh, encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I like that, stand firm and hold fast. We all need that this morning. And at midnight, we've got to keep a tight grip on what we know is true. If it's true in the bright sunshine of the noonday, then it's just as true in the darkness of midnight. So perhaps they prayed for courage and a fresh heart and to be more and to be made strong so they could bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my friends, the universe exists so that we may live in a way that demonstrates that Jesus Christ is more precious than life. That truth does not answer all the questions that we have, but it does provide the framework for an answer that will prove true and strong in the worst moments of life. When tragedy strikes, when life caves in, when your plans or our plans are dashed on the jagged rocks of reality, when you find yourself in a place you never wanted to be, that's when you discover what you really believe. As long as things are going good, you don't really know what you believe. It's all theoretical. However, you discover your theology at midnight. Anyone can sing, shine, Jesus, shine when life's good. When, you're in, when you've got money in the bank, when your marriage is strong, when your job is secure, when your retirement is secure, when you love your church and all is right in the world. If with Paul and Silas you can sing praise to God at midnight in a jail, then what you've got is real. Not only will you discover what you believe in times of trouble, but that's when the world discovers what you believe. 
Either God is enough or he isn't. Either Jesus is more precious than life or he isn't. The truth always comes out. And in these moments when you rest your weary soul on the God of the universe, when you cry out to Jesus and discover that he really is there after all, then you discover he was there all along. Everything he said turns out to be true. And people who watch you know that you really believe what you say you believe. And having seen the difficulties that Jesus, having seen the, the, the difference that Jesus makes in the worst moments of life, that's when they want what you have. So let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you know what you are doing in every situation. We are glad about that because many times we are clueless. We rest our weary souls on you, the rock of our salvation. Give us confidence to believe that God, the God who started a good work in us, will bring it to completion. Grant us grace to say, here I am, when you call us to bear witness at midnight. Help us to stand fast, never moving, trusting in you, now and forevermore, until the day comes when we will see Jesus face to face. Amen. Amen.